in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? Yes. Man, beautiful sunshine, nice, there's still just a little bit of coolness in the air. Uh, you know, it's really great, uh, you know, but uh, it is good to be here. We have a jammed pack service today, uh, you know, when God's Spirit is here and He is going to minister with us and to us. Uh, you know, I would like to start off this morning with a, uh, with a verse. So if I can have everyone to stand, if I can have everyone, if you're able to stand, let's stand. I know this is something new for you, so we'll get it. So, you know, I'm going to be in, uh, in Psalms, and I'm going to be reading from Psalms chapter six, uh, 116, and I'm just simply going to read two verses for you this morning. And God's Word says this morning, it says, I love the Lord because He hears my voice. And my prayers for mercy, because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. He listens to us today. He bends down to hear us today. So this morning, as we worship and as we praise God, he is listening to us today. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for today. God, I pray, dear Lord, that your, uh, you know, that your love and your mercy, dear Lord, will be felt in this place today. And God, I pray that you would receive our praise and worship unto you as a sweet incense as we glorify you today in all the things that we do and all the things that we say today. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Take me. 
Thank you, Jimmy and Glenda. Jimmy, if you ever commit a crime, shave your beard, none of us would identify you. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever seen you without a beard was in those photos. Um, so I asked Allison to write something up for me. And so these are her words. I was asked to write something up about Nana and Pawpaw to tell a little bit about them. So much comes to mind about those two, I really don't know where to begin. They are the most two kind, loving Christians that I know. They are willing to go out of their way to help whoever in need. My Nana has always been that person who doesn't meet a stranger, and I mean literally. She is the only woman I know who can go on vacation and run into a family or friends she knows or go to a wake at the funeral home, only the funeral hop because she either saw someone in another line she knows or she knows the deceased person. She's always got you smiling and laughing like the time she ran over the deer on the way to church with a van full of us kids and proceeds to get out in the rain to apologize to the deer for hitting them. She goes out of her way for her family or friends or strangers like when she goes around the neighborhood cutting grass for those who can't. She is a lover of the elderly and young babies. I don't think there's one person in our family she hasn't kept over the years. She has sort of replaced our Mama Ruby because everyone tends to call her for advice or just to listen to them. Pawpaw is just as equally kind, loving, and funny as Nana in his own way. He is one of the smartest people I know and tells you like it is, even though sometimes it's hard to hear. Even in those cases, he tends to be right. I remember as a little girl riding to church with him on Sunday, listening to him tell me silly little jokes about little Moran and Tarzan and the elephants. He always picks, but in a loving way, when he pushes Nana's buttons, and the whole time he is looking over at you, smiling, winking, and snickering, knowing what he is doing. Then a few moments later, you will catch him in the kitchen telling Nana, love you, baby doll, and they kiss like teenagers. <laughs> Papa is also a hardworking man. For as long as I can remember, he would wake up and work in the yard and then come in and get ready for work at Siemens, except Sundays. That was the only day he never worked. I would, wake, I would wake up to find him studying his Sunday school lesson, and we would go to church as a family, then come home and have Sunday dinners with all of us. Even in his retirement, he is always doing something, like helping me and David out by taking him to work, or he would come cut our grass when we first got our place and had no lawnmower, or take time out of the day to work on other lawnmowers or cars or be out in the garden messing around. As I've got older, I tend to talk to him a lot, more than Nana or Mom, because he not only makes me feel better about the situation, he gives me good advice and lets me know that God is in control and that it will work itself out not to worry. The two of them together is something indescribable. They just make it work even on the bad days they stick together. They have so much love for each other as well as for our family or even a stranger, and they aren't afraid to share that love with others. It all started when Paul Paul chased Nana around the bowling alley asking, Do I know you? In almost 53 years, three kids, four grandkids, and three great-grandkids later, you have these two wonderful people. No matter what they have faced, like losing their son, they have still managed to be so loving and giving. I don't know personally what their answer is to why or how they have dealt with it all, but the only thing I can think of is they put God first and let the rest fall into place. They raised our family in church, and even though we have all strayed away here or there over the years, and even with the bad things that happened, 
lately, losing two great grandkids and now dealing with Mason's health issues, they still have their faith. They still pray for us daily, and they still have this loving and giving personality. If any two people deserve to have this award, it would be them. They always go way beyond what they should, not because they want the acknowledgement, but because they care. So uh, we have this award uh, to present to Jimmy and Glenda Bankhead. If I can have Glenda and Jimmy to uh, come up. We're not going to let you stand down there. You got to come up here and face all these, all these wonderful people. Uh, you know, I uh, I knew about some of the joking and stuff, but that was really good. And then the picture of you standing there, would you, I was like, that was. I was modeling for George. <laughs> you were modeling for George. You did a great job. Uh, you know, and Jimmy, uh, you know, just the love of on your face with that family, and I know that you love everyone here, and we thank you. So this is from your church. Thank you. Thank you. I, I wasn't feeling good this morning. I was telling Jimmy I didn't feel like coming to church. He said, but you got to. I said, but why? <laughs> Just come. I didn't know why. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I went in and took some medicine for my stomach, and I ate a sandwich before I came, but... I thank you guys. I'm not worthy of this, but I do love Jesus. And he's been there for me for many, many years. Each and every one of you guys in here that has a special place in my heart. There's always something good to say about one of you. Oh, I mean, I love you. <laughs> <Something, laughs> there, there's always something good to say, but I love each and every one of you. I love my church. This is my family. I've lost a lot of family, and like I said, I lost her son and lost my stepfather this week. We buried him Tuesday, and that was the sweetest funeral I've ever been to in my whole life. He was very, very, very dedicated to his police force. I've never seen so many policemen at a funeral, but I appreciate the kids of his letting us be a part of their life and his life. And I called my stepsister yesterday, and I told her I appreciated them sharing their dad with us because he was a tremendous man. Besides my father, my father-in-law, and I think Bobby Satterfield was the best man I ever met in my life. And I appreciate everything he's always done for us because he showed his love. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, sugarcoat anything like my husband. <laughs> and he uh, always told the truth. He never had a hard word about anybody. He, I never heard him raise his voice, say a bad word or anything. He was very special to me. And y'all people, every one of you are special. You do. You have a special place. And I thank y'all. I wasn't looking forward for this, but I appreciate it. And I've loved my pastor and my, his family. Miss Terry over here, I knew her since she was high as my knee. <laughs> but they all of y'all special. Thank you. All, all I was told was that I needed to have her here this morning. That's all I knew. 
knew I was surprised as she is with what was going on, and I certainly appreciate it. Uh, I did learn something last weekend that, uh, that I didn't know, that there are some people in the church that are scared of me. Uh, <laughs> I, and I don't. I'm, I was dumbfounded when I heard that statement because I'm such a, a lovable, likable, humble guy. Uh, uh, but I am opinionated. I can be short talking, but that doesn't mean I don't love you. And I appreciate it. I, I, I appreciate my church. I really do. Uh, truly, I don't know where I'd be today. I probably wouldn't be alive today if it was not for the church and people praying for me in the past. And I thank you for continuing to pray for us as we go forward. And we all need prayer from time to time. And I, I just thank each and every one and for family. This this is the biggest family gathering we've had in a while. Uh, everybody has different things to do, but it, it's, it's good to see them all in church today. And uh, some go to other churches, I understand that. But you need to be in church every Sunday for those of you who don't go regular. You need to go regular. Church, you draw strength from it. You draw from the fellows, from the people there. And it helps you when you go through hard times. And we all go through hard times at one time or another. Uh, I, I just appreciate this. Thank you for your consideration and, and, and uh, awarding this to us. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you that don't know, uh, you know, Glenda serves on the board. Uh, she's also on the nominating committee, and she also worked on the uh, directory, uh, you know, for us. But she is also in charge of the uh, meals, uh, you know, for the ones that have passed, uh, you know, that has a loved one that has passed away. And Jimmy is a Sunday school teacher, and not only is, you know, he fills in wherever he is needed, uh, and he actually, uh, you know, did, uh, you know, Sunday night a couple of times for us, and he does a great job. Uh, you know, but their willingness to serve God in any capacity, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, is the thing. And we thank them and we love them so much. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue worship. If you uh, are able to, we'd like for you to stand and, and sing with us. If you don't know these songs and um, you, you haven't been around with us too, uh, too terribly much, but uh, for those who have been fairly regular, you'll, you'll know these songs very well. So sing out so others around you will also be able to, to, to jump in and enjoy these songs, okay? tries to roll over my bones and sorrow comes to steal the joy I own and brokenness and pain is all I know I won't 
doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. I can see the waters raging at my feet. I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the unknown. I can hear all God's children singing out. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm the raging sea lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us. His promises are true in His strength. There is nothing we can't do. Yes, we know there are greater things in store. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm a raging sea lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us. In us, and greater is He that is living in me. He's conquered our enemy. No power of darkness, no weapon prevails. We stand here in victory. power of darkness, 
Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm the raging sea lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us, lives in us. Greater is he that is living in me. He's conquered our enemies. No power of darkness. No weapons prevail. We stand here in victory. Oh, greater is he that is living in me. He's conquered our enemies. No power of darkness. No weapons prevail. We stand here in victory. Oh, in victory, yeah, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks. The same power that can calm the raging sea lives in us, lives in us. He lives the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. The same power that commands the dead to wake lives in us, he lives in us. The same power that same power that can come a raging sea lives in us, lives in us, he lives in us, lives in us. You know, that song speaks a very simple truth, guys. Jesus rose from the dead. That power that, that, that allowed that hack to happen, we praised that last week. We sang up from the grave he arose. We know he came. He died. And the power that God put in him to come from that grave is the same power we have in us. No matter what we have in front of us, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're going through, we have that power in us. We can overcome. We can be greater because the power that's in us, that power comes through Jesus' name. We can only say Jesus' name through our fervent prayers, people. When we come to God in prayer, there's a power that unleashes the powers of heaven that comes down to us, through us, and works a great miracle in our lives. You can either claim it today or you can leave it here. It's up to you. That power is here for you. All you have to say is, Lord, today I come and I need you, God. Today, more than ever, I need you, Lord. As we go into our prayer time, if you want that power, if you need that power, this altar is open.
We don't have to wait for the end of the service to have an altar call. We don't have to wait for a sermon to be done to say, God, I need you. We don't have to wait for any point in the service to come to this place and say, Lord, I want to surrender my issues, my concerns, my needs, my problems to you today because I need you. I need that power. We're going to continue to worship. And today, if you need to know that the power of God is in you, you come. You say, Lord, I need you now more than ever. If you need that, you come now. This altar is here for you. Lord, I come. I confess. Now here. I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you.
Robbie, Robbie said it this morning. Uh, you know, he he said that you know the Jesus that we, uh, you know, that we had our service the resurrected Jesus last week. Uh, you know, he's still alive. Uh, you know, it, it's not that he rose that day and then uh, you know died somewhere else, but he is alive, and the power of that resurrection is the power that we have today. Tammy, I'm going to ask if all the ladies in the church can come and can gather around Tammy. Tammy's father is in the hospital, and he's about 500 miles away, and she's worried about him. His heart has stopped beating, but they've got his heart, you know, pumping again and and going. Uh, but the great thing is, is that he has accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, and she knows that if he breathes his last, that it'll be his first in heaven because of the name of Jesus Christ and believing in him that power so we're going to pray for you know for healing but we're going to pray that God will continue to grow in the heart of John and then John's soul that John will will truly hold on to Jesus as his lord and savior let's bow our heads dear heavenly father we do thank you so much and God as we are here with Tammy uh, you know, God, her heart is broken, and God, she is crying out to you. And God, I pray, God, that you would allow her dad, John, to feel her love and her mercy and her arms wrapped around him this morning. But God, more importantly, God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would fill his heart with your love and with your mercy. You, know, God, he has asked for forgiveness, and he realizes who you are as the Son of God, as the Messiah the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are in his life. God, his name was written down in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. But God, we also pray, dear Lord, that you would touch his body, and God, that you would heal him physically. God, that you would restore his earthly body, and God, that you would give him health, dear Lord, here on this earth. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we just call out to you and to your name. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. To teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, you're my righteousness, oh God. I need 
Mm. I was about to say it's a sweet spirit that's here, but it's a powerful spirit that's here this morning, isn't it? His presence is mighty and strong. The altars are still open. If there's some that want to come and be with Sarah, uh, you know Rose, uh, you know Berkey, uh, you know does a lot with Sarah, and uh, you know she's not doing well. Rose is, she's she's not sick. Uh, she's just still weak from the sickness, uh, and she's uh, still trying to gain her strength. So we need to continue to lift her up in your prayers. Uh, you know, but Rose and Sarah do uh, quite a bit together. Uh, you know, so just. Continue to pray for Rose, uh, you know, and uh, pray for Sarah as well. Uh, you know, but we're going to take this time that we're going to continue with our praise and worship, and we're going to give back a portion of what God has given to us. And remember, if you forgot, if you were like me and you forgot your Easter offering last Sunday, it's okay. You can give it this Sunday. Okay, just make sure that it's marked. Okay, so if I can have the ushers to make their way forward. Oh, God's here in a powerful way this morning, isn't he? Praise his holy name. I can feel him all over me. I'm so glad to be here this morning in the presence of the Lord. He's so good to me. I just love him with all my heart. 
Y'all pray for me as I sing for his glory. Let's continue to worship and praise his wonderful name. I've read of the city John saw coming down from God out of heaven. The walls are of jasper, the gates are of pearl, and the streets of pure gold. He tells of the pure river of life that flows from the throne. And when we have reached that beautiful place, We'll know as we're known. Let's meet by the river over on that beautiful shore. Let's meet by the river where loved ones dwell who've gone on before. If you leave here first, just wait by the river. If I leave you here, that's where you'll find. Wait by the river is such a good place for us to meet over there. And after I find you, let's go see Jesus. Then let's go find our dad and our mother. Let's meet by the river over on that beautiful shore. Let's meet by the river over on that beautiful shore. Amen. Hi, uh, 
want to do something this morning. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> well, I'm going to preach in a manner. Hopefully today, I'm going to try to anyway in a manner that uh, you know uh, that I haven't done here before. So, whenever you know, this morning, I want us to think through this, and you know, we have. Uh, you know, that your prayers, our prayers, have power. Um, but we struggle with that. I heard this story this week, and this gentleman, uh, you know, was talking about how, uh, you know, Saturday he got up and, uh, you know, he was going to go and get the oil changed in the truck for his wife, uh, and he realizes and he knows that his wife's, wife's love language is, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, charity, uh, you know, and just, you know, kind of just doing extra things. So he says, oh, he goes, I'm going to get the tires rotated on the truck whenever I get the oil changed. So he takes it in and, uh, you know, get the oil changed and he, uh, you know, pays to get the tires rotated and, uh, you know, he was all excited. He did something extra for his wife. So he sent her a text and told her that, uh, you know, that he had gotten the oil changed and he got the tires rotated and saved 15% in the process. She texted him back and she goes, oh, please tell me you didn't get the tires rotated. He said, oh, yes, I got the tires rotated. She goes, I thought I told you that I got the tires rotated yesterday. He texts back, oops. And she goes, please, tell me you didn't pay to have the tires rotated. He said, yes, I thought you would be really pleased. Her response, that's terrible. She goes, I told you that I had the tires rotated. Now, you know, he then pauses and he looks at it and he looks at him and he goes, you know, he goes, I, you know, I knew that she said something about the tires being rotated, but, uh, you know, I thought she meant they needed to be rotated, not that they were rotated. And that kind of goes along with the thing that I heard, uh, you know, some other guy said that his wife walked up to him one day and she said, you didn't hear a word that I said, did you? And he goes, that's an awful weird way to start a conversation. I see the smiles and the chuckles. We've all done it, right? Uh, you know, how many of you watch Charlie Brown, you know, and the teacher, you know, all you ever hear from the teacher is wah, 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 right? Uh, you know, 90% of the time, uh, you know, somebody comes up to us and we hear part of it and then we hear wah, 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 wah right? Uh, you know, I was in car business, uh, you know, for nine years and names are really difficult for me. Uh, you know, and I would concentrate on the person's name because I, I had to have their name because whenever I talked to them, I needed to call them by their first name. Uh, you know, and I would get their first name and that would be it. I'd have to ask them, well, what kind of a car are you looking for? And they're like, I just told you. Uh, you know, it's like, wah, 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 wah. Uh, you know, now we have issues with that because a lot of times we struggle with it because if the person sitting right next to us or standing right in front of us only hears a part of what we say, then how in the world or why in the world would we think that God would actually listen to all the things that we have to say? 
But then we also have to think about is uh, why does God ever think that we would even listen to all the things he has to say? We don't listen to the people that's right here next to us. But we find that you know, our prayers, they do have power. They really do. Uh, you know, in James chapter 5, verse 15. Oops, I did something wrong. Wait a minute. I got to go here first. No, I don't either. Go here. All right. I'll get it there. It says, the earnest prayers of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Does that sound like your prayers? Huh? Sometimes. Sometimes they sound like it. Uh, you know, so let's look at you know, some of the other translations, uh, you know, on this here. Uh, you know, will actually tell us, uh, it kind of goes in and, uh, you know, and it says that earnest prayer or the prayer, the earnest prayers of righteous people, uh, you know, have great power and produce wonderful results. Uh, the NASB says the effective prayers of righteous men can accomplish much. Or you have in the New King James, uh, you know, version says that the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So there's a lot that we have here. So what do we consider as a righteous man? Would you consider yourself being righteous? After all, and be careful with that one, because Paul tells us that none are righteous, all have fallen short. But the passage of Scripture says that the prayers of a righteous man prevaileth much, or the prayers of an earnest man, uh, you know, has you know has wonderful results. So what is it? If we go to Matthew chapter five, we will find out what the qualities or what the standards of a righteous man is. Uh, you know, a righteous man. Uh, you know, we find, and I'm going to let y'all read that today. Okay, or sometime this week to see what a righteous man is. But, uh, you know, this is the Beatitudes, and it's not that Jesus is talking about individual people, but he is talking about characteristics that we all should, uh, you know, have. Uh, you know, it's not that he's talking about one person that is blessed because he, uh, you know, takes care of the poor. But if you... Uh, you know, so those are the, the things that you have that's there. But what I want us to look at, uh, you know, is that in verse 17 of James chapter 5 there, in verse 17, I did not put that there. In verse 17, it tells us that Elijah is just a common man. He's just like we are. But wait a minute. Elijah's a prophet from the Old Testament, right? How can Elijah, how can James say that Elijah is a man just like we are? 
we are all royal priests. All that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we are all part of the royal priesthood. Uh, we are a child of God. We're, we're not someone that is just ordinary. There is something special about us because we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So there is something that is special about Elijah, and there's something that is special about us. In 1 Kings chapter 7, or I'm sorry, it's chapter 17, Elijah comes onto the scene. There has not been, nothing has been written or said about Elijah until 1 Kings chapter 17. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, we find We find these words. It says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishba in Galilee, told King Ahab, As sure as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Wait a minute. The first thing that Elijah does is confront one of the worst kings in Israel's history. It's been 58 years since King Solomon has died. This is the sixth king that's in the reign after Solomon. And it says that he is the worst of all of them. This is one of those people that we would look at and kind of think about today as one of those power couples, uh, you know, because you have the king of Israel and then you have Queen Jezebel that come together and they begin to control things because they are in power. Now the Israelites, what's happened is this, is that they are no longer a country that worships Yahweh. They are a country that worships Baal, or a nation that worships Baal. Well, they also worship Asherah as well, which is the lover or the, uh, you know, the mate. Asherah is the mate of Baal. Uh, and it's really weird on, this, you know, on these gods. We, we look at this, uh, you know, and... Baal is the god of elements or the god of fertility, uh, you know, but yet he dies every year and then he comes back to life and he brings rain and he fertilizes the ground so that they have crops and then he goes and he has relations with Asherah so that the people can flourish and they can have children. Isn't that really weird? I, you know, that's, I, you know, to me, I'm like, how in the world can you do, you know, the God dies and then he comes back. I, you know, so in other words, in fall he dies and then in winter he comes back to life. Uh, you know, and the rains come and he fertilizes things. Well, look in the world, what in the world does Elijah do? Elijah comes and he says, okay, you are now a nation that worships Baal, which is the god of fertility, or I, you know, the, the god of elements, or the god of fertility. Uh, you know, so your crops aren't going to grow because although he's the god of rain that makes rain, uh, you know, he's not going to make any rain. 
there will not be rain for a long time. So you see what Elijah does? He puts King Ahab on notice and he says, your God really isn't a God because the God of all, God, the one that created all things, he is not going to allow dew nor rain to fall on this earth for a long time. And then we find here that in 17, we follow Elijah's life. And we see that God told Elijah to go and live by this stream and that he was going to be fed by the ravens. So Elijah goes and he lives by the stream and he's fed by the ravens just as God had said. And the drought was so severe and so strong that the stream dried up. And then God sent him to this widow in the town to tell him that this widow would then provide for him for the rest of this time. And then all of a sudden you turn around and in chapter 18, Elijah shows back up again. And here we go through this and it's awesome what Elijah does. You know, you see in your walk through this, Elijah then comes back on the scene and he meets Obadiah. Now Obadiah is the king's Uh, you know, overseer. So in other words, he is the one that is in charge of all of the things that goes on in the kingdom. You remember Joseph was that, right? Uh, You know, for Pharaoh. So then you have Obadiah that's here. Uh, You know, Obadiah has done what? Uh, Scripture tells us that Obadiah is a devout follower of God. He is so devout that he has hidden a hundred of God's prophets in two caves. Put 50 in this one and 50 in this one. And not only did he hide them, but he was feeding them from the king's palace. So I see y'all don't think that's really awesome either, do you? And that is, you know, that is just the coolest thing because, you know, here, uh, you know, Ahab, uh, you know, and Jezebel are searching the kingdom and searching all the places for the prophets of God and trying to kill them all. Uh, you know, it's, the scripture goes in and tells us that he searched and searched, uh, you know, for Elijah. And the kings would say that Elijah's here. And whenever he would get there, Elijah was no longer there. God would move Elijah. Uh, you know, so, you know, here we are that he, one of his people that's in charge of his stuff has a hundred prophets hidden. Wow. Are we asleep this morning? You know, because God's at work. You know, God is setting this up. And he's setting it up for us. Because whenever we see here, Elijah comes on and Elijah meets Obadiah as they have split the kingdom in two and they're searching for enough grass so that the king would possibly be able to save some of his horses and mules. I mean, that is a bad famine. We're going to go out because we need to find some grass so our horses will live. If not, we're going to have to kill them. So they've divided up and Elijah stands there and Elijah meets Obadiah. And he tells Obadiah, go and get Ahab and tell him that I'm going to meet him today. Poor Obadiah. He begins to complain. He says, oh my goodness, why are you trying to get me killed? 
He said, why are you wanting me to go and tell him that you're here? Because whenever I bring him back here, I know you're not going to be here, just like all those other times, because God's protecting you, and he's going to take you somewhere else, and he's going to kill me because I lied to him. Elijah says, no, today I will see him. Today I'll see him. And whenever King Ahab shows up, how many times have we ever done this? See what you've caused? He said, Elijah, see the problems that you have caused for the people of Israel? Right? I, you know, we do it. See what you have caused. And Elijah goes, no, I didn't cause this. You caused this because you have turned against God. It's your fault that this has happened, not mine. And then we know this, you know, he goes in and he calls the prophets of Baal and Asherah. The scripture says Baal and Asherah to a duel. He wants all 450 priests of Baal and all 400 priests of Asherah to come to Mount Carmel and we're going to duel it out. We don't know what happened to the priests of Asherah. They don't show up. Only the ones of Baal. They show up. And he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get two bulls and we're going to have two altars. You get a bull and I'll get a bull. Uh, you know, and then what we're going to do is, is that you pray to your God and I'm going to pray to the God. Uh, you know, and we're going to ask the God to come down in fire and consume the offering." We all know this passage of Scripture, right? This is really cool. It's a great passage of Scripture because God shows up in a mighty way, but we have to understand what all happens for God to show up. You know, so we see this, okay? So the prophets are up there, and they're, they're doing their chants and kind of dancing around. I'm not going to dance around for you. Uh, you know, they're dancing around, you know, and they're calling out to their God. And they, they do this from early in the morning and, they, and all the way until noontime. And nothing's happened. Uh, you know, so then, uh, you know, Elijah goes over there and he kind of starts taunting them. How many of you have ever taunted one of your, uh, you know, opponents? Have you ever done that? Uh, you know, taunt him. Oh, man, really? Uh, you know, if he really is a God, uh, you know, maybe he's gone on vacation and he just doesn't hear you. Pray out some more. Call out some more. Uh, you know, the new, the NIV, or the, not the NIV, but the NLT, the NLT says that maybe he's going to the bathroom. He's busy doing something. He, you're not that important for him. By the way, you're only 400 people. He's not going to come and answer 400 people's prayer, right? Uh, you know, so he's, you know, he's kind of taunting them along and, uh, you know, they go on and then they continue on into their service uh, and they begin cutting themselves. Uh, you know, and, and it's really kind of weird because they would literally cut themselves to where their blood would squirt and it would squirt out onto the offering, uh, you know, for, you know, hoping that he would come and take the offering because now they've poured out their blood on it. And of course, we know that it doesn't happen. Nothing happens. So finally, Elijah says, okay, guys. And I'll paraphrase it for you. Okay, guys, enough's enough. Come on over here. You know, come on, come on over over here to you know to this side over here. And then we find that Isaiah, or not Isaiah, but Elijah, says a simple prayer. 
Uh, you know, I, I want you to realize that Isaiah doesn't ask for fire to come down. He just simply asks God to answer him. But then he says, don't answer for me. He says, answer for the people around me. Answer so that they can see that you are God. That you are the true and the living God. It took two verses in his prayer. And then God came down and consumed the offering. Now, wait a minute. I forgot, okay? Because, see, remember, he took three bales or three three buckets or tubs of water, and for three times he poured over the top of it. And it consumed the altar, it consumed the offering, it consumed the 12 rocks that he had placed there for the uh, tribes of Israel. It consumed the soil. Wow! It consumed the ground that was underneath the altar, and then it consumed the water that was there. It's not that he was trying to be overbunctious or, uh, you know, wanted to send, well, no, he did want to send a signal. And the signal is, is that he is the one and true and only God, and his power is sufficient to do all things as long as we call out upon his name. But I want you to grab something here, okay, because it's not the one that is praying. You know, see, we read this passage of Scripture and we question our prayers. We question us. Uh, you know, it's not the ones that do the praying. Look at the, you know, look at the priest of Baal. They prayed. It's not the one that's praying, but it's the one that's listening to the prayer that holds the power. It's not the prayer that we give, but it's who we're praying to that has the power. And if we trust in His power, then His power will come on this earth. If we trust in God alone, it's not us. It has nothing to do with me. But it has everything to do with my trust in who I am praying to. Who has everything to do with him? But see, Elijah does show us something in here. And I want us to look at these. There, there are some little things that's in your bulletin for you. Elijah shows us that one good part or one part of the prayer, okay, is that we stay in the presence of God. We have to stay in the presence of God. Uh, you know, whenever we're in the presence of God and we're listening to God and we're communing with God, uh, you know, then we know God's will. And it's not a guess as far as am I praying what God really wants Am I praying for a result or for something that God would really want to happen? If we're always, if we're in His presence, then we know what that is. But the thing is there also is that we have to trust that God acts on all of His promises. God is a God that pro of promises. He is a God that cannot lie. And every promise that He has promised to each and every one of us in Scripture, it will come about. If we pray the promises of God, He will act as long as we trust that He'll do 
what he says that he'll do. In our prayers, we also have to ask persistently. We have to ask persistently. We find that Elijah, after this great uh, you know, battle here at the altar, and after God shows up and burns up the altar, we find that Elijah uh, you know, sends Ahab and tells Ahab, you need to go ahead and go home and go ahead and eat uh, you know, because there's going to be a storm that's coming. So he sends Ahab home, and then he goes up to the, mount, to the top of Mount Carmel. And at the Mount of Top Carmel, he calls out and he prays out to God, and he asks God for rain. And he sends his servant, and he tells his servant, he said, Go and look towards the sea and tell me what you see. For seven times or six times, he comes back and he says, I don't see anything. On the seventh time, Elijah prays again and sends him back. And whenever he sent him back, he comes back and he says, oh, he says, I see a cloud off in the distance about the size of a man's hand. He said, you need to run and tell King Ahab he's got to get in his chariot now or the storm's going to stop him from getting back to the palace. You need to go because Elijah knew that God was sending the rain because he knew the God that was listening to him was the God that had the power to perform and to give the rain that he was praying for. We need to go ahead and claim it because we know the power and the one that we're praying to. It's not me. Jesus Christ is the righteous one that we're praying through. It's not in the power. It's not in us. But there's one last thing here. You, You got another space that's there, right? It's got a Y on there, right? I had to stretch for this one here. But yearn. We have to yearn for God's glory. See, it's not our glory. It's God's glory. Elijah didn't pray for this so that he could get the glory. Elijah prayed for this so that they would be able to see that God was the true God. And whenever the fire fell and everything happened and the altar was taken up, what did they say? Oh, Lord God Almighty. It wasn't a question. They said it twice. They bowed low and they said, Lord God Almighty, Lord God Almighty. They knew because God showed up. Because God showed up. Man. Elijah is a man just like you and I. A man that is called by God. That is a child of God. He listens whenever we call out to Him. We have to trust that He will do what He said that He'll do. You will have the opportunity in just a second to watch a video of a young lady That is telling you today that because of prayers, she now stands before you as a child of God.
well, my first and last name is Samantha Montberg. Um, and I am sharing my testimony today. Um, some of it's a little hard for me to talk about because it's like a spiritual unpacking. Um, I was saved at a very young age, uh, before I reached double digits, I, I don't even remember how old I was. Um, and being that I got saved at such a young age, I believed that being saved meant you never had to endure any hardships in life. Um, no one ever really talked about the fact that um, life still happens after you become saved. Um, at, at least they don't really talk about that so much with kids. Um, and so I began having my faith tested at a very young age. Um, I remember when I was six or seven, my mother was about seven months pregnant and she lost the baby. And <clears throat> after she lost the baby, our, our lives were kind of flipped upside down. Um, they had already decorated the nursery and everything and then the baby just died without warning. Um, I remember watching as my mother and father buried their child and it's one of the most traumatic memories that I have because I remember watching my parents who I had always looked up to so much um, just kind of breaking completely apart and I remember being very angry. Um, in retrospect, I think it's completely accurate to say that I blamed God for the situation, um, but I didn't understand that at the time. All I knew is that I was really angry, and then about a year later, it happened again. Um, and that was the first time I ever remember really questioning why God allowed bad things to happen to good people. and. As I grew older, more and more things continued to happen that I couldn't wrap my head around. Um, I've, I've been a victim of sexual abuse several times throughout the course of my life, and um, that made me really angry with God. Um, because I, I didn't understand. Um, and um, this resulted, this lack of understanding resulted in me doing every possible thing I could to run as far away from God as I could possibly get. Um, one of my biggest acts of rebellion was marrying the wrong man at a very young age and I remember very distinctly <laughs> I remember very distinctly God making it very clear in the hours leading up to my wedding that I was not supposed to be marrying this man and I did it anyway because I wanted to um, I wanted to run uh, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to run away from being told what to do. Um, I wanted to run from authority and I didn't want to have to listen anymore. 
Um, I moved a really long distance away from my family when I got married. And um, I quickly found out that the man I married was an abusive cheater. And like a child, I blamed God for that too, even though he tried to warn me before I got married. Um, the realization that I was in the wrong place with the wrong man drove me to drink a lot of alcohol. Um, I became an alcoholic drinking every single day of the week. And um, I blamed God for that too. Um, the alcoholism drove me into a really, really dark place of depression. I spent a lot of time alone. Um, mostly my life was just drink, sleep, eat, repeat. Um, when my ex-husband and I split, it got worse. Um, I moved back home to be with my parents, but I still felt really alone and like I was failing. Um, I felt like I was failing my daughter. My marriage had failed. I had dropped out of college to be with this man and every dream that I ever had had just gone down the drain. Um, I lost my husband to an affair with a woman that I thought was my best friend and um, I was starting back at square one. And so I decided to fill that void with booze and men and work. Um, it was a really toxic cycle because the alcohol led to poor choices which resulted in me um, being raped twice and being sexually assaulted a number of times. Um, and then to add more weight to what I was already feeling because I was very stubborn and unyielding. Um, I never learned all the lessons that God was trying to teach me in the failure of my marriage and so I had to repeat it with a second relationship. Um, and that just made the weight of everything I was already dealing with double. Um, in June of last year, uh, I kind of just, I just threw my hands up and, and I, I quit my relationship and I quit everything that was familiar to me aside from my family and my job. I moved back in with my parents and I remember after several months of being in their house and being very depressed that I just sobbed in my bed one night and I told God that I couldn't do my life like it was anymore that I was hurting too much and I was too sad and I felt like I was failing my family and failing my kids uh, I was in a really a really bad place and I just told God that I was going to give him all of my stuff and that I didn't want it anymore and I kept praying until I passed out and I just kept saying take it from me, take it from me, take it from me until I fell asleep. Um, My life after that changed. 
uh, one by one, I started to realize that all of the things that I had looked at as weighing me down and dragging me down weren't actually that. It was almost like God took them and flipped them around so that I could see the other side of them. And he started to point out the different ways that through all of this stuff, he had been there the whole time. Um, the, the event in my early childhood with my sister's passing that really was at the core of me straying from my relationship with God, he showed me that through that event, I was able to grow a really great relationship with my sister, and I was also able to see that being a Christian doesn't save you from life, it saves you from death. Um, through my failed marriage, I was able to learn patience and persistence and a lot of forgiveness. Um, the various abuses that I had suffered at the hands of men um, taught me that the men of this world don't love you, but God does. And that's something that has stuck with me. Um, I was also taught that alcohol doesn't save you or make you feel better. Um, that doesn't fill any voids. Um, and, and something else that I learned too through all of this is that we oftentimes ask God to take things from us that we're not willing to let go of. And it, it, in my example, it was a lot of emotional pain. That was a wonderful testimony from Samantha. Uh, Samantha is coming this morning. As you have heard her testimony and the things that God has helped her and brought her through, and her life is changed. It's not the way that it was. She is a new creature in Christ because of what he has done. For the forgiveness that he has given to her, the mercy that he has poured out upon her life. And today I ask her, I say, you know, Samantha, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I do. Will you obey God's holy will? and keep his commandments, walking in them for the rest of the days of your life? I will. I will. Today, I, it's privileged for me to baptize or rebaptize Samantha Weinberg. In the name of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rise to walk in the newness of life. I'm going to ask our children's director, Ashley, if she could come in.
Ashley is here because she is, uh, you know, our next one that's going to be baptized. Uh, Mariah, Mary, no, Marie Ruiz. At Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene, it's not only that we want to get them saved, but we also want to help them to teach them to walk in the life of Christ. So that's why Ashley is here, and Ashley is going to ask her these questions. Mariah, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you realize that he saves you now? Will you obey God's holy will and keep his commandments, walking in them all the days of your life? Amen. She said, I will to both of them. So I baptize. I baptize Maria in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Rise to walk in the newness of life. So as we close... There will be a, another uh, you know, testimony of a young lady that was not able to make it today. We started off this service with a uh, Distinguished Service Award to Glenda and Jimmy. And there's a section in this that specifically talks about their life and what they mean to this young lady. And it's what we strive to do that we are able to be the witness for someone else to receive Christ as their Savior. Enjoy this video. My name is Courtney Williams, and I'm 24 years old, and this is my testimony. Um, at a young age, I was raised in this church. Um, so a lot of you know who I am, um, or you think you know who I am. <laughs> um, but I was raised in this church with both of my parents um, and my brother. Uh, we went here for a while, and then my parents split up um, when me and my brother were younger. I think elementary school. Um, and a lot of you knew that and knew why. Um, a lot of, uh, when my parents split up, I didn't really see my dad too much, and I lived with my mom, and I kind of figured out why, you know, my parents got a divorce, and that kind of set me on a track of why were some Christians, you know, I, I thought Christians were supposed to be these perfect people that you know, always went to church and had this great, perfect life because when you're a child and you're going to church, that's what you're, I mean, you're taught about, uh, you know, Noah's Ark and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and stuff like that and they, all these things, but you're not really taught, you know, what a Christian is and what, you know, how, you know, this is hard. Um, so my parents got divorced and I became angry with my father. I was angry at life. I didn't want to, you know, I was rebellious and bad. 
But I did start going to church again at Emmanuel First Church of the Nazarene where um, Rick Morris, my great uncle, was um, the pastor at. Uh, I was very much involved there in the youth group and I would go to TNT, I, you know, would compete there. Uh, I did a lot of things and I was very happy. Um, a lot of times I did go by myself. Uh, my, neither of my parents went um, or my mom would come every once in a while. But uh, mostly it was just me. My brother didn't even go. Um, but I loved it and I enjoyed it a lot. Well, and by the way, when I was going to that church, I did get, you know, I was baptized before and in a pool at my Uncle Rick's house. Um, and, you know, I, you know, thought what I thought at the time was saved, you know, what I thought was being a Christian, but I really wasn't because at that age, you really still don't know or you aren't, I mean, it's very hard at that age thinking that you're, you're a Christian because be, even being a Christian as an adult is very hard. Um, so I rebelled, you know, I got older and stepped away from all of that and I rebelled a lot. I had, you know, I was my mom found somebody else. She married my stepdad now, and uh, I'm thankful for him. He is awesome and wonderful, but I still rebelled. I was bad. I would uh, be out all night long. I would drink and get so drunk that I didn't know where I was, and uh, I was just terrible, just a terrible, terrible teenager. Um, I was doing things that teenagers shouldn't be doing, probably not even adults should have been doing. But, um, and I strayed away from God, completely strayed away from God. I knew who, what I thought who God was, and I believed in God, but I wasn't doing the things that I should have been doing. Um, so, as time went on, you know, I eventually met my husband and got pregnant with uh, our first daughter, McKinley. And I really think that that was a saving grace for me. I really think that God put this sweet little baby, um, gave, at the time I didn't realize it, but now that I do, you know, this sweet little baby God gave me was McKinley. And I feel like if it wasn't a lot for, you know, her, I would have still been, you know, doing all the terrible things that I was doing and uh so you know even still then I was still wasn't perfect and I wasn't going to church still and I mean McKinley was a little older she was probably about you know three was she about three when we started coming um I was pregnant with Emerson is when we you know really started coming and thank you Nana for always <laughs> always inviting us and always praying for us to come <laughs> because I really think that if it wasn't for you pushing us and you know asking us that you know we wouldn't we wouldn't have really you know came and got involved you I mean you really have impacted a lot of us um you know by that so thank you and we love you but um so we started coming and for a little bit, you know, I came, I was coming a solid time for a while, and then 
for a little bit, I did fall off, and I, I didn't come for a little bit, and I think it was, like, right when Pastor and Peggy, Pastor John and Peggy was here, and I wasn't here for a little bit, and then, because I had fallen off, and, uh, but thankfully, God got, God got me back on track, and, uh, I still don't think I was fully where I needed to be, uh, I started the praise, and, I started being in praise and worship, and at the time, it was just, uh, like, me and another person. So, it wasn't, you know. And, uh, I still wasn't where, I still don't think, you know, I am closer to God now than I ever have been. But still, I, then I wasn't, even though I was living it or thought I was or showing what seemed like was this, I was being such a great Christian. I still was having troubles at home with my husband. We weren't, you know, we weren't getting along. We were just, it was just not good. Our marriage was terrible. Um, this, so it's been a, almost, well, yeah, it's been a year now, uh, when my husband finally just threw his hands up and left. Um, that was the hardest Thing that I've ever had to deal with. Um, uh, my husband left and um, it was terrible. Me and my daughters were, we were on our own for a while. Well, you know, physically we was just us three and um, that's when I knew that I had to change. That's when I knew that I needed God more than ever. I, you know, I needed to change my life and my ways and the things that I were doing. Because God was showing me, you know, if you can't obey me and if you, you know, aren't going to live right and if you're going to go to church and still come home and act this way, I'm going to show you, you know, I'm going to take things from you. Because God really truly does give and take away. And I honestly believe that, especially after, you know, my experience and everything that I had gone through. You know, people say, oh, God only gives people uh, what they can handle. And that's not true because God gives you things that he knows you can't handle. So you need him. And uh, that's what happened. I, you know, I needed him and I was leaning on God. and But I was still trying to uh, fix it myself. But, you know, finally I had to give it to him. I laid it down and I told God, I was like, please. God, this is yours, this isn't mine, I can't live like this, you know, please give me my husband back and, you know, change me, change my heart, you know, and thank God that he did, and I, you know, I'm so forever thankful and blessed um, for what he has done for me, and he is still blessing me to this day, I mean, even like the little things God blesses us with and blesses me with and I'm just so thankful for that and I am I can never I'm very happy at where I am in my life right now and I've never been happier and um, and I know my testimony is not done I mean I still have a lot a life to live um, and so and God's not done working on me
So as we look at the lives in this, these testimonies in this baptism service today, you know, Jesus isn't done with any of those lives. Jesus is not done with your life, wherever you are. He's still here for you, regardless of what's happened, regardless of what you've been through, regardless of the hurt and the pain. He's there. But we still have to obey and we have to ask for that forgiveness and, and realize who He really is and truly is. We have to trust in Him. There's people just like Elijah in this building that's been praying for each and every one of you. There's power in the prayers. We trust that God will answer and do the promises that he has promised to us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today and for this service. I thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity that we have had to celebrate the work that people, you know, that this couple, this great couple has has done for you. And, and God, not to worship them, but to thank you for what you have done in their lives. But God, we also so thank you for the lives that you have changed, dear Lord, in the baptisms. And God, for the many, many lives that are here, dear Lord, that you are still wanting and working and changing right now. As Courtney said, her testimony is not done because you are still at work in her life. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.